All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Space Arena, Ground Arena, a Star Wars Unlimited card game podcast. I'm Dan Kennedy, one of your hosts. We've got all three of us here today. So we've got Mr. Ben. How's it going? Hey, good to see everybody's face today. Yeah, it's been a little bit, but hopefully as we get more game dues, we'll be able to do these more frequently. And we've got uh, Banana Crapshoot. How's it going over there? I'm good. I'm glad that we could all get together again. Um, I know we probably all wanted to probably do this a little sooner, but the articles, we haven't really gotten any articles, just, you know, preview images and stuff. So still fun stuff to talk about. My problem yeah. is this game called Star Wars Shatterpoint came out and it just absorbed my life for two weeks. But don't worry, I'm still a card gamer, not just a mini gamer. So that'll probably die off real quick as soon as a card game comes out. <laughs> All right. Um, so topics for today, we're going to try to get through two topics and we're going to start with a topic about lore. We wanted to focus on all sorts of aspects of this game and Star Wars as we're talking about this card game. So through the previews, we've seen a couple things. We've seen that there's ground units and that there's space units and that there's events. So we've been talking in our little chat and we said before today's episode, each of us was going to pick one of each of those types of cards, a ground unit, a space unit and an event and pick something from star wars lore that we think would make a really good unit or event and share them with each other so we're going to pass the ball to uh banana crapshoot first to go over his uh three cards and then we can we can heckle him a little bit about it all right so i think i gotta i gotta check to make sure this is right so for my ground arena <laughs> unit i picked um cal kestis from i'm sure you guys know the star wars Jedi games, right? Fallen Order and Survivor. Um, I think he's a cool character. How you would design him, I don't really uh, have a great idea for that. Um, maybe something where he changes his lightsaber stance after Survivor. He has like five different stances he can go through. Mm -hmm. So something based around changing his lightsaber stance would probably be cool, but I'm not going to attempt to be a card designer. Um, <laughs> but that's my ground unit, my I space. Am. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> My space unit is um, the Outrider, which is Dash Rendar ship. Um, I just think that that model ship looks awesome. Um, and I still have like my toy Outrider that I had for, like from when I was a kid, from like when the the novel, right, Shadows of the Empire, and all that yeah. came out, like. There was this, a set of there was a toy line for that, and I still have my Outrider, and my kids play with it. So, um, that's like my favorite ship in Star Wars. So, and then for my event, I picked um, Electric Judgment, which is the like Jedi version of Force Lightning that Plo Koon, at least in Legends, could do. I'm not sure if Ooh. in Canon he still uses Electric Judgment, but that would be the event card. And my thought on that is like uh, exhausting a unit, right? You pay whatever the cost is to exhaust a unit. Exhaust something. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I like that you've touched on like something they told us about Star Wars Unlimited, that there's going to be like an unlimited realm of what they can cover. So you've got video games, cartoons, and books from the old Legends track of Star Wars covered. Um, so it's a pretty broad range without hitting anything from the movie. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Thanks. It's almost like a flex. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't Look realize I was going to have to try to get cool points. <laughs> I mean, my dumb movie references. <laughs> well, that's fine. But yeah, like they said, you know, they, they can pull from all this stuff. So like, like I want to see Cal Kestis, like, I don't know. I think that'd be cool. Some interaction writer in Rogue One. There was that scene where they showed like a bunch of ships. I, for some reason, I remember it. Maybe it's just the model of the Outrider, the Karelian, whatever. Yeah, like um, the YT-2400 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if that was actually the Outrider, but I think... I think he is canon now because he was referenced, I think, uh, in the Solo movie, maybe. Mm. I don't know. For some reason, I'm thinking that at least Dash Rendar might be canon but i i'd have to look into that more um, research for next time yeah well those are all cool and give us some insight into your breath of star wars so we'll pass to mr ben next and hear what his 
cards and ultimate card designs are. Okay, yes, I, I am actually going to try to design some cards here. And I want to start with my space unit, which my favorite ship from the moment I saw it, it, it probably my favorite feature of episode one. That's not totally true. But uh, Darth Maul's Sith Infiltrator, at least at the time of episode one, he was in possession of it. But that ship was handed down from a bunch of different Sith Lords. I just thought it looked so, so cool. The kind of spearhead shape of it. Uh, I like that it's got this cloaking technology. And as far as implementing it into the game, I mean, a cloaked ship having the ability to ignore enemy units and just hit straight at the base and kind of maybe even some kind of protection on the crack back. Like you can't attack it if it's exhausted or something like that. That's kind of the nature of how I would want to see it. I would want it to be a unit that can frustrate opponents, defensive efforts. Like maybe it can't be targeted by opposing events or, or something like that, that disrupts your opponent's ability to do events. And then on your side, maybe it, allows you to be a little bit stickier than some other so it's hard to hit and it can get through and hit things like that's the kind of like flavor that i would want to see on that ship but 100 percent, the reason i want to see that ship is because i think it looks cool like um <laughs> uh, as far as a ground unit uh my favorite character in star wars as far as like not a main character has always been max revo uh, i love the guy's look uh i was a musician when i was young still sort of pretend at being able to play music. So the, the idea of a music based Star Wars character, uh, I have always kind of had an affinity for this goofball. And it's probably ridiculous to think that they would bring him into a combat based game. So I was trying to think of like, how could you represent a musician? And I was thinking of like a D&D &D bard. And unfortunately, Banana kind of beat me to it. But the idea of a unit that could exhaust other units, I was like, oh, well, they're listening to his music, so they can't fight, right? Uh, but uh, something like that. I would love to see like a one drop, essentially, uh, Max Rebo that does some kind of uh, mild disruption to the opposing, uh, the opposing field. And as far as event, this one was the hard one. Um, there are so many like specific moments throughout Star Wars that really kind of clicked and carried with me. Uh, the first time I heard Sebulba's engines in the theater, that uh, <laughs> the first time those like depth charges went off in episode two, when Obi-Wan was chasing uh, Jango through the asteroid field, like there's so many just really cool moments that you kind of feel in your chest, but, and this maybe is a little bit of recency bias, but I think <laughs> that the Cassian Andor shootout, when him and Luthen are escaping Ferrix is probably my favorite Star Wars scene ever. So from that, I think one cool, or I guess, spoiler alert for Andor, <laughs> uh, right before the scene happens, Luthen talks about how rule number two is always making sure you have the ability to escape. So I thought a cool event would be art of one of those giant machine block things in that abandoned factory, like on a big old chain, just crashing into a dude. And the car is just called rule number two. Like that seems um. to capture kind of the essence of, I, I mean, there's so many cool moments in that scene. It's hard to narrow it down, but to synthesize it into a single one, that, that is my uh, attempt at uh, card design for those, those star Wars moments. I love it. And again, you've you've touched on like a bunch of different movies, the show. I think that's going to be a big strength of this game. I love the Sith Infiltrator as well. I'm a big episode one fan, so that just it got me right there. Remember seeing it and thinking like, oh, it's almost like a TIE fighter, but not quite. And like you get that that feeling that this belongs in the same universe. So I would love to see a Sith Infiltrator. That'd be really cool. You got any thoughts, uh, Banana? I really like... Uh... I like all of it, but yeah, I have to agree <laughs> with the Darth Maul Scimitar Sith Infiltrator. Um, that thing's awesome. Please have it in the game. FFG. Yeah, for sure. Please. All right. I'll I'll entertain you all with mine because they're they're not nearly as creative or exciting, but they are exciting to me. There we go. All right, so my ground unit is a real deep cut, or at least it feels like a deep cut when I talk to people about it, but it's one of my favorite characters from like the reboot of the Star Wars comics by Marvel. 
they've had a lot of Poe Dameron's parents from the Force Awakens trilogy or the sequel trilogy. His parents were like not main characters, but side characters in comics. And his mom, Shara Bay, was an A-Wing pilot in Green Squadron in uh, the second Death Star battle at Endor. And they've done a lot of flashback comics to like Times on Hoth and things like that. So you can see how his parents met and how she went on adventures with the main characters. So they kind of inserted this new person into a bunch of scenes and historical events that we know where there were a bunch of nameless people in the background and connected it to the sequel trilogy, which I really liked. So if you ever get the chance to read, there was like a four issue run that introduced her and she went on an adventure with like every main character. She went somewhere with Han. She went to like Naboo with Leia she went and stole some like force tree with Luke on like a covert mission. Um, it was a really cool connection between the original trilogy cast and one of the members of the new cast. So I would love a Shara Bay unit. It could be a ground unit. because She does a lot of these ground battle stealth missions with the different main characters. Um, it could also be something where it like transforms into an air unit, which is an idea I'm real big on, right? Cause she is a pilot as well. So maybe she like, can jump in an A-Wing or she could even be a space unit or something like that. Um, my event is from episode one. My favorite character in episode one is Newt Gunray. Cause I think every line he says is super memeable and memes have like saved the prequels for me. So I really want a card that says the event, like I like when events are quotes from the movie. So I want the event title to be, this is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them or split it into two cards maybe. Because there's a bunch of meta ways you could do it, right? This is getting out of hand, could play another card from your hand for free to play on the word hand. Or it could be something when you're like outnumbered, it it balances the field or something like that. And I would love it because it would have a really derpy looking picture of Newt Gunray on it, which is exactly what I want. Um, and then for space units, I as I was typing this up, realized this is probably a ground unit. So I, I failed my mission. But the LAAT is the low altitude, not high altitude, so not in space, assault transport. And these were like the clone transports and attack the clones that Yoda and everybody mm -hmm. rode on that all the clone troopers would jump off of. So my idea for this would be a space unit that like you could exhaust to like drop troopers out of your hand into the ground battlefield. So the two battlefields could interact. I think there's a really rich, cool idea that could go on there. And FFG can probably do a much more balanced version of that. So I'll look forward to some sort of transport vehicle that can dump dudes into the ground. I'm all about that. Those were my three. So make fun of them all you want now. <laughs> I, uh, I really like the LAAT idea of like spewing clones onto the ground unit. In the, uh... is a big would be a big win for me. Yeah, and the LCG, they had a lot of transport units. And what they would do is it would be like exhaust the transport unit and then search the top five cards of your deck for a character. So it's like transporting characters into your hand. But now that we have these two arenas, it could be perfect for interacting between the two. So uh, Mechanically, I really like the idea of a support card that's played in one arena but produces value to the other arena. So it if your opponent has gone heavily in one arena, maybe you have this unimpeachable support resource here that they just can't ever touch while you're spawning all this value out to the ground. Now, it, arguably it might end up being a this play to go too heavy in one or the other. You probably need to have a balanced approach, but nonetheless, that would punish your opponent's draw or uh, their deck build. Uh, and having that go the other way, I'm not sure what it would look like to have a ground unit produce value up into the sky uh, quite the same way, but I, I've, from a mechanical standpoint, I really like the idea of that. That's something I think I could sink my teeth into. Well, this was fun. I like hearing all about your favorite Star Wars moments and some of your favorite well, well, characters. Well, hold on. I got something to say oh. about your event, too. Okay, before let's we go for on. it. Let's go for it. Because if we're going to have this is getting out of hand, and now there are two of them, that card art has got to be a stacker, right? So when you put the two of them together, it, it creates like a whole like panoramic scene of oh, yeah, totally. whatever his... his second in command guy's name is <laughs> no, i can't even remember i can picture him in my head but the the name escapes me wait you're just all nemoidians look the same <laughs> harsh you can't say things like that we're being recorded no they're unique and, and dignified people <laughs> yes yes exactly um yeah so that was our lore segment i thought it was really fun i want to hear more about 
what cards you're excited about and the lore around them and maybe more cards that you'd want to see pop up once we learn more about the game. But I think the, the main topic we had for today to go into next is to go over the three leader cards. So there's three leader cards and there's three of us. So we're real organized here and we don't have an order that we're going to go in. So we're going to shoot it to Mr. Ben first to let him read off one of the leaders and then we can chit chat about that leader. And we'll rotate around until we've hit all three, um, just sharing our initial impressions of that leader. Is there anything else we want to overview about leaders before we get into that? Well, more or less, uh, if someone is coming to the show and they haven't looked into the mechanics on Star Wars Unlimited, what we understand about leaders is there's going to be essentially two sides to it. Uh, there's going to be an undeployed side, which starts the game in play. And once you satisfy a particular condition, it thus far, all of the conditions we have seen are controlling a certain number of resources. So essentially, once you hit a turn threshold, you're able to flip that leader over deploy them to the battlefield and they get to like do other stuff. So for example, the leader I'm most excited about is the Hoth version of Leia, which is the, the one they most recently revealed. Uh, she has the, un, on the undeployed side, she has an ability that you can exhaust her and attack with a rebel unit. And then you get to attack with a, another rebel unit. Now this is just pure value. Uh, you, it does require a little setup. You're going to need a couple of rebel units in order to get the full value out of it. But in a game where we have to assume the action economy is is very tight, uh, and given that in the live stream, FFG said to us that this is where the strategic depth is going to be, this is where this display of skill is going to be, is in managing your actions. This is a leader that lets you get an extra action out. So maybe your opponent had a unit that could have cleaned up that second rebel and saved them from taking that damage. Instead, you get to chain two attacks together and and crack into the base. Now, once you hit turn five, you're able to deploy her and she becomes a three six. Uh, it's hard to know exactly how good that stat line is on turn five, especially for <laughs> what I assume is going to be a deck that's going to be aggressively slanted. Having such a small attack and such a big butt is kind of anti-synergistic to what I would expect from an aggressive leader, uh, but she does have raid, so she'll while attacking, have that, that four attack to swing with. And once she completes an attack, you get to attack with another rebel unit. So her leader side has basically the same power as her undeployed side. And both of those are generating value for you in the form of additional actions, assuming you have done the setup work of having rebels in play. Uh, Banana, got any thoughts? Yeah, so I'm, I'm curious. I guess, like, I like the design space for the leader. I wonder if there's going to be enough support in one set for her to hit the way we want her to. Um, like, I'm afraid that she might let you go too fast, and then you're stuck passing for three or four turns, and then your opponent gets to do all this other stuff, and you you're out of stuff to do because you already attacked with everything. Um, so I guess I, you need to see more cards, more rebel units um, before I get overly excited. I think the design space is there, but I just curious to see what that looks like in this game with the turn structure. Um, yeah. If she can get too fast, right? Yeah, I had I had similar thoughts. I think that Leia's gonna go one of two ways, and it might change as more cards come out or as as like the meta shifts away or towards rebels. But either she's gonna be really good at action economy, right? So she's she's action efficiency. Her action on her horizontal or non-unit side is basically take two attack actions instead of one if they're both rebels. Um, so she gets you ahead in action. And in a minute, we'll talk about the other leaders and they're sort of like action inefficiency. They're like delaying your completion of actions. So if the meta is such that like we're taking really long turns and everybody has a ton of actions, then Leia could be really powerful for getting you ahead, especially assuming you end the round, you get to start the next round, I would assume. So that might allow you to use this to end the first round faster and then start the second round sooner. So you can start with like a double attack before your opponent can, like Ben said, counter something. 
Um, or right. If the, if the meta is such that like, there are a lot of people taking really long turns and they don't care who takes the initiative, you're going to do a bunch of things with Leia. And then you're going to pass like 20 times while your opponent takes a bunch of turns with all the information, because you've already wasted all of your actions. You haven't hidden information from your opponent. So I think her games will go one of two ways. And I'll be curious to see how that gets used. Um, I do think that it's important to say that she's probably going to be a rough character in Sealed. I think a lot of people are going to play Sealed when the game first comes out. It's really fun to play like Draft or Sealed or some format like that, right? FFG talked about that in their live stream. At the pre-releases, it's probably obviously going to be some sort of Sealed format, whether it's a starter deck or something else. Um, but since she synergizes so much with Rebels, it's going to be really hard if you don't open a lot of Rebels in your packs. That's going to set her back and sort of limit how you can use her ability instead of sort of being like universally useful. It doesn't say that she has to trigger other ground units when she's in the unit side or the leader side. So she can target either Battlefield, which I think is really good. And of the three leaders we've seen, she flips at the least number of resources. So even though she's a three slash four or six, um, she flips really fast compared to the other characters we've seen. So depending on how resources work in this game, um, getting her out a turn earlier might be how she satisfies that aggro condition like we talked about. So I'm really excited for her card, um, but I think that in games she's either going to feel really, really good or she's going to feel really, really behind. And I'll be curious to see if the card pool balances that or not. One thing I wanted to point out that somebody on Discord pointed out is the uh, if the bottom side of her. I'm going to call the horizontal side, right? The more passive side. I'm going to call that the front side. Okay. So her the front side on the bottom of the image, there's like a hollow seal. Um, like a hollow security seal. I don't hmm, know if anybody yeah. else noticed that. I did not. That's so, cool. Take that for whatever. All right, that's all. <laughs> I do think it's kind of a perennial problem with aggro decks across, I don't know, every game uh, that they can get out over their skis pretty easily. They, it, you have so many things to do and because everything's cheap, I'm making broad generalizations about swarmy aggro decks, but you can exhaust your hand end up with no resources in your hand, nothing to do while, and if your opponent can withstand that initial uh, assault, then you're kind of defenseless. So that is certainly, I think, a fate that could befall this and, and more or less any other aggressive uh, deck. You know, it's kind of the stereotype of like aggro being the brainless archetype, but really, you do have to manage your gas tank. Like that's where the decision points are, at least in yeah. my opinion, when, when you're playing those more aggressive decks. Yes, you always want to go face to put it in Hearthstone terms, but that's not where the nuance of your your play decisions is. It's how to manage those those aggressive things. So I, I agree with your assessment as well, Kennedy, that uh, she's probably going to be a real stinker in Sealed though, unless these packs are like absolutely rotten with Rebels. Uh, this seems like a, a constructed card to me. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll move on from Leia, and we'll have uh, Banana Crapshoot pick the next leader to discuss. All right. I will go with Luke Skywalker. I'll take Luke. Um, you know, good old Battle Invader on Cloud City Bespin. Um, art. The... Uh, he has the action, right? He can pay a resource and exhaust to give a shield token to a unit played this phase. And it has to be that, that same white symbol unit. So he is pretty restricted on who he can give the shield to on this mm -hmm. side. Um, it has to be a certain unit with a certain color, faction, whatever and they had to have been played that phase. So um, it is a little restrictive, but I mean, shields in most games are pretty good, right? Especially if it works like Hearthstone Divine Shields. Like, that's not bad at all. So, um, and then he has the ability to, as his epic action, flip uh, when he has six or more resources. And then he becomes a 4-7, which is uh, 
little bit beefier of a stat line compared to his sister. Um, and then his ability on attack, you can just give another unit a shield token in, and that doesn't have the restrictions. Um, I see him playing more of a defensive controlly style where you're protecting your units. Um, maybe maybe like a mid-range to a control style where you're going to try to protect your board and build a couple big units that you're shielding up. But I think I like definitely want to deploy him. Like with Leia, there's some discussion on if you just use her front side, right? Um, but with Luke, I think you definitely want to deploy him because you can give the shield to whoever instead of the restrictions on his front side. But I think it's a good thematic design for Luke. I'm pretty sure this is pretty similar to the Awakenings Luke, right, in Destiny, where he gave a character a shield. So it's it's pretty on point with other Luke designs for FFG. Any thoughts on this one, Ben? Uh, I am not going to be as kind to this card as Banana was. Uh, to look at the front <laughs> side, you have to pay a resource, exhaust this thing, and then if you've played a certain subclass of character, you're able to put a shield on it. Now, if we assume, and again, we don't know officially exactly what shields do, but if we assume they work like Divine Shields and Hearthstone, this could in theory, be valuable because, hey, I've got a ready unit. I'm going to attack with him. Let's turn that attack into a value trade where my guy lives and your guy doesn't. Except, oops, uh, you're not going to be able to attack with a unit that just come into play this phase most of the time, assuming summoning sickness. So that feels like a power that's like a little bit adrift, a little lost at sea. Uh, the unit I would want to be able to put that on, like I just described, is to create a value trade for myself. And at level, at, at his deployed side, he, he does allow you to do that once he's able to attack. So the front side, I'm pretty unimpressed with it. You know, putting a shield on a unit, like a support character that you want to keep around, like your hypothetical hypothetical low altitude transport ship, like something that your opponent is going to want to kill, using a shield to protect that kind of support character, that's great. That sounds awesome. Not going to be able to do it with this guy, at least not for more than one turn uh, until he's deployed. And if you want to use shields in a combat setting, he kind of fails there too. So I'm not really sure who the shields on his front side are for necessarily, unless it's all about, hey, there's going to be some of these, these yellow faction units that are going to be total lightning rod targets. They're going to come into play. Your opponent's going to kill them on side every time. And this is going to let them live. So you get to use them once before they get killed. Maybe that's the incentive, but I'm going out on like a large theoretical limb as far as card design to get value out of this front side. I do not like the front side of this card very much. Any thoughts on the back or you're, you're happy with the back side? Uh, he's better on the back. The shield has a little more diversity in terms of where you can put it. This is still, he's got to be able to attack. Uh, if your opponent has like combat tricks that prevent him from attacking or exhaust him or something, you're not going to be able to reduce that value. And just as a four seven, that's whatever. Uh, maybe that's good. Maybe it's not. We don't know enough about the, the overall curve to know for sure. Just kind of using the general rule that I tend to apply in card games, six cost, I'm thinking probably around six, six. So he's about there a little below a composite stat line of 12. Uh, but not the end of the world. Still, it's the versatility of the shield that I think is an interesting thing about this side of the card. But how often are we going to get to use it? Am I going to be able to use it to create value trades or protect support characters? Because those are the two main things I think I want to use shields for. Although once we get our hands on the game, maybe I'm thinking too narrowly about it. That is possible. I'm a little bit higher on this card, but I'm still probably in, in the middle ground, not the high ground. So I agree you're paying one extra resource and exhausting Luke, like spending an action to give a shield token to a, I don't know if that's yellow or white colored units that you played this phase. So like you said, you're probably not going to be able to swing with that unit this phase, unless there's something like Rush or, or whatever from Hearthstone. 
Um, at the same time, like I played a lot of face hunter in Hearthstone and the worst thing that can happen, right? You're playing units and going face. If someone can remove all your units and empty your gas tank, it helps them a lot. So if not that blue white is going to be a face hunting sort of, uh, style deck, getting a shield, I'm assuming getting a shield onto a unit even if it can't attack that turn, you can probably use that to value trade next turn. You're just giving your opponent some information a little bit earlier. Um, usually in, in games, I'm comparing this to sort of like Hearthstone, right? Controlling the battlefield is really important. If you can remove your opponent's threats before they get to attack, that's a big deal. So if you have something that lets that unit stick around and not get destroyed, it can be really advantageous, right? If you play a three cost unit and have one resource open your opponent might try to remove it this turn rather than waiting till next turn because they might think you're going to put a shield on it and just playing that mind game can be really powerful um i do think it's a little restrictive we don't know how long it's going to take to get to six resources but it's going to presumably take longer than it takes to get to five resources so he gets plus one to each stat compared to leia um, but leia's kind of like a four when she's attacking so i feel like leia's got a slightly better stat line um, and an ability that's pretty synergistic amongst both sides, whereas Luke's ability changes pretty drastically. Um, we'll see how it goes. It depends on like how shields work and what decks there are that like synergize with shields, right? There might be characters that gain something else when you place a shield on them or something like that, right? We're doing these hypothetical reaches because we don't know everything yet. But uh, I do think placing a shield on a unit, if it works like Divine Shield, like you said, um, I think that could really help a unit stick so that it can attack. Because I remember there were metas in Hearthstone and other card games I played that were super unhealthy, where like the control decks basically just tried to murder all your things before they could actually do anything. And nothing is less fun than playing a bunch of cards and never getting to use them because they all die. So Luke might give you the chance to keep those things on the board if that meta ever fabricates. Assuming um, you're dropping a unit under curve, so you have the extra resource to pay to protect you, you, it. That's the other thing I was thinking about, is depending on how card draw works, right? Eventually, you could run out of cards to play, right? So you might be playing under curve, but I guess that's more late game, which Luke probably is in the field late game and not in his front side. Um, but I think I think there's there's potential there. We'll see how important hitting curve is compared to having multiple bodies or more actions. We'll see. Um, we'll move on to the final leader. So Darth Vader. So you mentioned connected art before. Darth Vader and Luke have connected art. So that's really cool. Um, again, we've got Vader in his Bezpin um, or Cloud City uh, stance, right, from Empire Strikes Back. So he is Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith as the subtitle. Action. Again, spend a resource and an action. If you played a black or whatever that is card in this phase, deal one damage to a unit and one damage to a base. Epic action, same as the other two, but you now need seven resources to flip to your backside. And when you deploy Darth Vader, um, they're a seven cost leader unit in the ground arena. Five, eight for stats. So we're getting another plus one, plus one compared to Luke. And on attack, you may deal two damage to a unit. Um, I'm curious how on attack works. If it happens before the attack, you can like eliminate things that could block and all sorts of things like that. But I'm pretty high on this leader. I think they're pretty strong. Uh, I didn't mention it on Luke, but this leader does have some like action inefficiency, right? You're spending a resource and exhausting, spending an action to do something that's not playing a unit or using your units. So you're sort of like at a really low action efficiency, spending one resource and one action is going to slow down your turn. But in a style deck where you can deal a lot of damage to units, like dealing one damage to a unit in a base and dealing two damage on your leader side, you might not care so much about being the first person to take an action all the time, but more about seeing what all the threats are so you can decide where to place that damage strategically. Um, so I'm pretty happy with Darth Vader. He's got three traits, Force, Imperial, and Sith. So we have a three-traded unit. We're not limited to two like we saw on Luke and Leia. The most disappointing thing for all three of these leaders for me is I really was hoping we would get different art on the leader sides and the, the, uh, or the front and the back side, right? They kept saying this is like the deck building side and then the you're now in combat side, but it's just like a slightly cropped different uh, view of the same image, which was a little sad. I hope that when they do the alt arts and stuff, we get 
cool leaders in different active poses on the different sides. But I think Vader's a pretty strong leader. Um, the big thing is going to be to see, can you, you know, survive to get your epic action and get the value out of that 5-8 unit? So I'll pass it to Ben to give us comments, and then we'll go to Banana Crapshoot. Uh, this leader, kind of similar to Luke, is going to live and die on, I guess, similar to all three of these. Uh, Leia needs rebels, Luke needs whatever the, the yellow or white symbol is, and Vader needs whatever this black or blue symbol is. And depending upon what the density is of the appropriate unit types in the packs overall, that's going to determine how efficient this unit is in sealed and potentially uh, even constructed. Now I have to assume they're going to give us enough support so that you're going to be able to play one of these black units every single turn and get this value out of Darth Vader every turn. If that's the way you want to build your deck, I, I, I would be stunned if the, I mean, this is like a premier character in star Wars. Uh, they have to support, like they can't leave this leader without support in the first set. Like that's just not going to work. So let's assume that every single turn, you're able to underdrop, play this, and chip away at some, some either turn a unit a little more bite size or kill something off the opposing board while also doing a little bit of face damage. I think it's kind of strange that when he deploys, he goes into pure unit damage. It seems to me, especially deploying so late in the game, it, the way I think of games usually is control the board, control the board until you can go face and, and chase that lethal. So later in the game, I would value the base damage even more highly than I would early in the game, yet late in the game, assuming he comes out to the board and doesn't get killed right away or removed by something, uh, you're losing that ability to go straight into the base, which I feel like is a little antagonistic to the, the way I, I think this guy wants to play. So I'm a little confused um, I think his front side, again, assuming we can play those black units every single turn and kill something and go face, I think that power on his front side is pretty impressive. Uh, I like it a lot. I, I'm not sure what to do with his deployed side. All right, uh, Banana, what do you think? I think it's funny how Vader's ability on his front side seems like it's a counter, like a hard counter to Luke's ability on his front side. Right, like if if shields are, work like divine shields in her stone, and Luke gives a dude a shield, Vader can just ping it off, and then boom, no shield. Right, so if shields work like Star Wars Destiny, where like one shield is one damage, that's not as big of a deal. But if it works like divine shields, like this is like a hard counter to Luke's ability. And then for the the back side, um, or the deployed side. I think it kind of depends when on attack resolves, like like Dan said. If on attack happens like first, you could clear the way for other units and he can still do five to the base, right? So I think his deployed side really depends on when the timing for on attack happens. Because um, it does give you a little more control because you would be able to handle possibly board presence and still go after the base. Um, but I think it all depends on when the on attack timing takes place. But I like Vader. I think um, you say he's a premier character. I think he's the premier character for Star Wars, right? <laughs> you ask Fair. anybody like to name name three Star Wars characters. Every every person's going to name Darth Vader, right? My, me and my three-year-old will say Grogu first, but um Vader's up there, right? Whatever. So, They'll say Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. <laughs> well, my daughter knows Grogu. She says Grogu now. But, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think there's going to be, there has to be support for Luke and Vader. So that having, thinking that their front side abilities aren't going to work, I think that's kind of a non-issue. They're not going to design these characters um, and show them off, right? And not support them in the first set. So I do like Vader more than Luke. Um, but I think of the three we've seen, I think Leia has the most potential. I'm I'm team Vader there, but uh, we'll see. The force changes things. 
The so bomb. I will say, if Vader's stats were just flipped, like if he was an eight five, so you deploy him, he comes out, he puts eight damage on something, kills your opponent's best thing, puts two damage somewhere else, kills something else, and then he immediately flips back to his undeployed side, so you have the ability to go face and keep pinging. I think I'd be more excited. Uh, there's just something about me giving up base damage late in the game that feels counterproductive to me. But it, maybe he comes out, he does this thing, and even with eight defense, he still gets killed pretty quickly, and, you, and you're able to get your your face pink back. Could be the case. Yeah, I'm the I'm the opposite. I really like high defense on these leaders because the last, like, right, when someone sees, when you come to a table and you see, oh, you're playing Leia, I'm going to know on whatever turn we get to five resources, I want to have six damage so I can just eliminate her immediately. Mm -hmm. Then you've wasted an action. I think we don't get to do the epic action twice, so you wouldn't get to flip her back in. So people can prepare for that. So I'm glad that it's harder for them to prepare to just remove Vader instantly. Because if I, I'm assuming, again, I think board presence is going to be big, right? A 5-8 unit that also can, like, remove two units with one attack is going to be really big for, like, control-style decks, which I think is what, you know, pinging and unit damage decks might turn into. So I, I'd i rather have a 5-8. I could see the 8-5 so that you can flip back and start using the ability again. Um, ultimately, my assumption is that once something this big comes to the board, people are going to try to remove it regardless of what you do. So... If it's too easy for them to remove and you flip the unit into play and it just dies immediately, then you feel like, well, why did I even flip it, right? That was, what a waste of a turn. So I'm glad that it looks like it'll stick around. No shields for him, though. So, um, so those were our two main topics. I think the last topic was we had some listener questions from Discord and Twitter and the socials. So we'll let Banana read off the questions to us, and then we can answer them off. So, All right. So I'll start with the one question we had on Twitter, which was from Jedi Geek Girl, host of I Rebel. Um, she asked, what is a card from Star Wars Destiny that you would like to see come into Star Wars Unlimited with the same or as close as possible effect? Um. I'll throw this one to Dan since I know Ben really didn't play much Star Wars Destiny. So, was there a Max Rebo card? Because that's the one I pick. I don't remember a Max Rebo character. Um, Fair. So, Dan, what's a Star Wars Destiny card? I almost want to answer the opposite question. What's a card that I don't want to appear? Um this is a lot harder because I only played a couple sets of Star Wars Destiny before I fizzled out. Um, but I would like a card that gives you some amount of control that either exhausts a unit, right? In Star Wars Destiny, you'd roll these dice into the board. There was a card called Electroshock that was like staple in yellow decks, right? You had mm -hmm. to have a yellow character and then it would remove a dice or two dice. I can't even remember. Um, but it was some sort of like basic control card for whatever the control color is going to be. In Star Wars Destiny, it got a little bit... Um, all-encompassing with control. Like, every color could control by some means. So we'll see if they keep it more to, like, a color identity in this game or if every game's going to have some sort of exhausted unit or put a unit out of combat for this turn sort of ability. But I would like something like Electroshock, even though people might not like that unit. It also had awesome art with Chopper on it, so that, that does it for me. It did have good art. I think, I think that one was, like, you had to remove a dice of your own right of, like, value two or less to remove an opponent's die or something like that. I think that's what it was. Or maybe it was just A1 to remove an opponent's die of value two or less. It was what? spot a yellow character to remove a die showing a value of two or less. Oh, that was it? Yeah, I just looked it up. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's better than I remembered it being. Um <laughs> That had gotten reprinted too, because I remember that was in rotation after rotation. It had gotten reprinted, I'm pretty sure. Um, just trying to think what. Trying to think of like a character. Um, a character card. I don't know. This one's hard. Um, I'm going to say. See, just the dice added such a different. It just added something so different than any other card game. And like. So, like, your removal wasn't... Because you didn't play units. You just played your characters. And everything was to build your characters. So there wasn't really stuff like, 
oh, I'm going to remove your two drop character. It was like, I'm going to make you reroll that die. If it rolls this, it's going to get removed. So it's kind of hard to make this comparison um, to a game with no dice, right? So uh, I don't know. There was uh, something. So there was a card called Desperate Measures, I'm pretty sure, where it was another yellow card where you would blow up um, an opponent's support vehicle or something, and then you would take damage back in return. So I'm going to say something like that, where you can blow up an opponent's thing, but it deals damage back to you as a result. Definitely Maz Katana. <laughs> like the Obi Maz, Maz Katana, that's what you're talking about? Totally. Totally. He's got it. So Maz Katana was a card. I was thinking Pomaz, right? Pomaz oh, was yeah. after you activate Maz Katana, you could resolve two of your dice. So it'd be like when you play Maz Katana to the field, you could attack with two of your characters. So it's a big tempo card. Um, something like that. That would be really cool. Yeah, so Desperate Measures was spot a yellow character to discard a support and deal indirect damage to yourself equal to the cost of that support. Yeah, it's Pomaz been so long, Destiny. Busted. I got in after Pomaz. But after Pomaz, it was Obi-Maz, right? After they nerfed the Pomaz thing. Mm. How dare uh, they? Then it was Obi-Maz. Yeah. Hurting my boy, boy. All right. So uh, next we had some questions on Discord. This one's from Pome, um, part of the Late Night Gaming crew. He asks, what's your favorite art so far? Well, he, he has like three questions. So part one is, what is your favorite art so far? That you've seen from the game there's definitely a correct answer to this question and I'll it's greedo first then. okay good <laughs> for sure that greedo art is so perfect like th there's plenty of like all, all the art we've seen so far i think looks good i don't think any of it really looks bad uh, but that greedo is home run 100 percent. dan what you got I'm going to go with Wing Leader. I'm big on dogfight spaceships. It's a little bit weird that there's clouds in the background, but it's a space unit, but I'll give it to him. Maybe there's clouds in space, and it's that color blue Dude, somewhere. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> but uh, it, I like the art, so I'll take it. The geometry does it for me. So for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show it. So sorry I wasn't prepared for you guys, but I'm going to find the right one. This one right here, bam. This artwork they showed um, with Vader and the snowtroopers like entering Echo Base on Hoth. That's cool. I think, I think it was pretty awesome. Um, so I'm gonna go with that one. Um, but I like, I, I'm a big fan of all the art really uh, that we've seen so far, but that one just puts it over the top for me. Um, the next part of his question was, well, who's your favorite leader that's been revealed? I think we kind of went over that tonight, right? I don't think we need to spend too much more on that. Agreed. Okay. Leia. And then the last part of his Wrong. question was, what's your hype level for this game? Um, so, Dan, what's your hype level? Uh 90%, 100%, something really high up there. I'm at a point in my life right now where I can play TCGs. I can play them regularly with a with a good play group. My son wants to play more TCGs. He's playing Pokemon cards and stuff like that. So this is like the right time in my life for me to be hyped about a game. So I'm pretty excited. I'm also, they, they announced that they're going to do Gen Con demos for this game. So I'm doing a Gen Con demo two of the different days. So I think I'm signed up for Friday at 2 o'clock and sometime on Saturday. I don't remember. Um, but definitely to try the game out. I can't wait. Like that's going to be the highlight of my Gen Con, even if it's a, uh, what, what do they say? Seven minute lost demo or something like that. So we'll see how it goes, but <laughs> it'll be a glorious seven minutes as I lose. Ben, what's your hype level for Star Wars Unlimited? Uh, it's definitely up there as well. I was going to say like eight or nine. Um, I'm huge fan of the source material obviously uh very interested in the mechanics that we've seen so far and just so so far there hasn't really been anything they've revealed about the game that i've gone ah that's not for me the op structure seems like it's right up my alley uh, making the cards 
all have functionally unique but accessible versions and then the collectors can go chase alt arts and all that that's right up my alley like so far everything is really lining up in such a way that they're checking all my boxes and then until they say something i don't like like my excitement's only going to continue to rise so i'm pretty hyped for this game you didn't see that article where they said no max rebo then so that's fake. That's fake news. That's not real. And, and no card draw facts <laughs> right through the heart. <laughs> um, How about you, Banana? What are you feeling? I tried to. I'm trying to play a soundbite, and it's worked up until this point. So, do or do uh, not. There is no try. It was going to be unlimited power, right? It was going to be power. Oh, that's it. Like, I'm super hyped. Um, like I, I loved Star Wars Destiny and the community around Star Wars Destiny. That was my first like real competitive card game that I got into. So, um, and then right, so I was doing the Marvel Champions thing, and start. I'm ready for something else like more competitive, right? Like I've jumped around to a bunch of different games, and I like a bunch of them, but nothing that I can get as hyped about as how I'm hyped for this. So, I'm ready to jump back in. Um, and we had a question from Bull Sheboy, Bull Sheboy on Discord also. Do you, I'm not sure if this was a question for the show or a question about the show. Um, so do you think this is aimed more at gamers, non-gamers, or a bit of both? So Ben? Well, I, I interpreted that as a question about the show, um, I think if the question is, do we think the game is intended for gamers or non-gamers? I, I mean, it should be accessible to non-gamers, but it better be intended for people who like to play games. Otherwise, they're going to have a hard time finding an audience. Um, now, so if we interpret it about the show, uh, the philosophy that, that I've kind of approached it with is we want to have stuff in here for like the hardcore game players, but we want to also make it accessible to kitchen table players and like today's show where we spent a lot of the time talking about like lore and things like that that's going to appeal to maybe star wars fans and like the collectors who are here for the art so overall i think the vision for the show is that we want it to be uh, something that there's value for all the different types of people who would engage with the the card game um now over time, that's going to develop and change. But that's certainly the philosophy I'm coming at it with is there's kind of these three different core important things, the casual player, the competitive player, and then the people are here because they're primarily a Star Wars fan. And I think we're positioned to be able to offer something of value to all three of those groups. Dan, you got anything to add? Well said. I, uh, I agree. And I think the answer for both for the game and for the show is a bit of both, right? Uh, I think we're yep. probably going to have some really depth in detail. We're all analytical people here on the show. So we're going to get into some analytics and talk, you know, real strategy, but we're also going to talk about what did I play at my kitchen table this week? Or what did I play with my friend? Or what's this cool combo that I went for? Um, and even just talk about like the cards we opened or, you know, like what we tried ar around with that week. And that can be very approachable to any level of gamer or collector even. Um, the game, I think that um, it's got to target gamers. It has to be a good game at the end of the day, but it doesn't have to be like the perfect competitive game for OP or anything like that. I think that a majority of people that play card games don't go to the store and play them. They don't even know the stores are having events. They, you know, get a pack of Pokemon cards from someone for their birthday and then they buy a bunch more and play at home with their parents or with their friends after school or they're trading on the playground and stuff like that. So there's going to be a lot of people that buy this game, not even knowing they could play in the store in some tournaments that might just play at their kitchen table. And uh, I think FFG should be targeting those people as well. And it seems like they are with the rarity printing art style chase card thing that they've announced so far. I agree. I don't really have too much to add to what you guys said. I think it's, it's a bit of both. Um, and the last question I had from Discord was from Rev Maverick. What is your launch day strategy? Are you going to just start or get a starter deck or are you going for booster boxes? So Dan, we'll start with you on this one. What's your launch day strategy? What's your pre-order to your local store? Assuming well, we're... there's not allocation that you can get whatever True. you want. Assuming no allocation in a galaxy a long time ago. Um, 
I'm definitely going booster boxes right away. I'll, if there's a starter deck, I'll get it. Obviously, sometimes there's cards that are only in a starter deck. Sometimes there's like annoying things where it's a, not a full playset in a starter deck. I hope we don't have that nastiness. But um, I'll definitely be getting a starter deck. Our store locally for all the TCGs it does, it usually runs a starter deck tournament. And then they run a starter deck plus sealed tournament. So like uh, Ooh, for like a new that. one piece set, they'll do like a starter deck tournament on Friday. On Saturday, you can bring your starter deck back or change to the other one for that set and bring six booster packs. And, like, you open them and, like, tinker with your starter deck to try to make it better. And then on Sunday, they do, like, a full constructed tournament because that way everybody's learned the new set. They've seen the new cards. There's a little bit less rules questioning and things like that um, because you've figured out more of the intricacies. So I have an Astro store if that's what they're going to do. But my assumption would be since they do that for Magic and they do it for Pokemon and they do it for Digimon and One Piece, they're probably going to do it for Star Wars Unlimited as well. So we'll be doing that. I know my group of friends after the tournament, the Starter Deck tournament on Friday, will be playing Constructed into the wee hours of the night. So we will we'll definitely be playing some Constructed that first day. But the store always runs the Starter Deck tournament first. So we'll jump in on that. Bandai, right? They are terrible for only having like half a playset of starter exclusive cards in their starter, so you have to get two. Oh, it's so yeah. frustrating. Like I played like, one like game. Final that Fantasy wasn't... doesn't do that. At least like the Final Fantasy TCG. Like if they're starter exclusive cards, you get a full playset in the starter. So I I played one game where a full playset was four cards. I can't even remember what game it was. It wasn't Bandai, but you got one of a certain card in your starter deck, and it was like a key card. So you'd have to buy like four starter decks to have a playset. Um, but it turned out like by the end of that game's lifespan, you usually didn't want four of that card because you wanted more toolbox decks. You wanted like one to two of a card because there were a lot of like tutoring and search cards. But when the starter deck came out, the meta was buy four of this starter deck and take one card from it. And I, that's terrible. I don't want that. Please, FFG, if you're listening, don't do that. All right, Ben, what's your launch day launch day strategy? Uh, hey, bud. I'm live. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so definitely, um, whatever the starters are, that seems like the place to start, like pick those up, play a few games with them. Um, certainly, uh, boxes is, is on the table are on the table. Uh, probably many, uh, I suspect the plan is going to be to play a lot of sealed until there's no more packs to open and then we'll switch over into constructed and modifying starter decks, stuff like that. That that's almost for sure gonna be my playgroup strategy. Also, shout out to Red Maverick, fellow I know from the Radlands community. Great guy. Um for me, definitely starters and cases, right? Like I, I didn't want to be the one to say it. it. I'm glad you said it. I was just putting memes in the chat instead. So it depends how many. Um, it depends how many boxes come in a case. I think, um, and if the cards are as sex as accessible as they're making it seem like it's going to be, that it's not hard to get a whole playset. Maybe. I mean, there's a lot of factors. How many cards are in a booster pack? Right. We know there's 250 some cards. Right. So how many cards come in a booster pack? What's the rarity distribution? How many boxes are you going to have to get on average to get a play set of every card, right? And then, you know, horse trading and, you know, selling kids for money to buy other cards and selling cards for other kids and other cards. Like, it, we got to see how all that plays out. But I, I, wanna, I want a full play set, right? So I can build whatever I want to build. So the goal is to get a full play set. So starters and however many boxes it takes to get there. That's my strategy so seems got, like a correct line of play and that was is, that was everything we way. had for today anybody got any last comments for this episode of saga nope. see you in the arenas yeah well, I, I was gonna do it but you got it yeah we'll see you in the arenas that's gonna wrap up this show hopefully we get some more articles soon before gen con but if not we'll be talking more lore and then talking about some more previews. If we see any more art previews and things like that, check you out on social discords and everything else, but see you in the arenas.